Do you ever see those clickbait lists online? They're usually titled 101 films you have to see before you die. They pop up every once in a while. But tell the truth, how many have you actually seen? These movies are so ingrained in the fabric of modern pop culture through references and homages that you'd be forgiven for thinking that you'd actually seen them. So why not join me, Sam, a self-confessed cinephile who currently works in the film and television industry and even went to university to study film and TV. The only issue is, I've not seen many films. And me, Joel, a man who likes films a lot but is constantly described by his friends as overly anal and picky. But I'll let you decide. Each week, we will break down and review a different film, from zany cult classics to what many describe as cinematic masterpieces. Do these films deserve the legacy they've been given, or are they just overrated, bloated rubbish? Let's find out, as this week we discuss Rain Man. This is a 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen. Rain Man, the 1988 film directed by Barry Levinson. Where do we begin with this one? Scariest episode to date. Scariest? Think? Yeah. Uh, oh, I'm terrified of getting cancelled. <laughs> I mean, if it didn't cancel Tom Cruise. I mean... I just don't think we got the we've got the facilities to talk about autism. I think I but do. We'll try, we'll try our best. Yeah. Or I'll try and change the topic as much as possible. One of the two. Overall, I I I did enjoy this film. I would say there's some pacing issues. Yes, and up until about fifteen minutes ago, I didn't have an answer for that, and now I do. And suddenly everything makes sense with this film for me. Oh, look forward to hearing that then. Right then, should we crack straight into it? Collectibles dealer Charlie Babbitt is in the middle of importing four grey market Lamborghinis to Los Angeles for resale. He needs to deliver the cars to impatient buyers who have already made down payments in order to repay the loan he took out to buy them. But the EPA is holding the cars at the port because they have failed emissions tests. Charlie directs an employee to lie to the buyers while he stalls his creditors. Very little to talk about here, apart from this I mean, film is unapologetically 80s. Oh, wow. Especially from the get-go. The music, the Lamborghinis. The 80s suit with the black t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Just Tom Cruise and his absolute element, I feel, here. You get an intro to the character straight away as... Not a nice guy, slimy salesman. Yeah, I. It's I wouldn't say it's an issue I've had with top uh, with Tom Cruise recently, but when Top Gun Maverick came out, I would describe it as people saying Tom Cruise is acting in this. Like Tom Cruise isn't playing Tom Cruise, which I feel he has in the past fifteen years. Yeah. He, he's acting he's a character there there's a range of emotion that he goes through in that film and it's like this film he's he's acting here i was suspending my disbelief i wasn't watching tom cruise i was watching charlie babber this was a character i was watching and enjoying yeah i'd say so um definitely with I mean, if you watch some of the Mission Impossible films and stuff like that, he just plays Tom Cruise, doesn't he? Yeah, but um, I and 
yeah, it's Tom Cruise running in films, the motion picture. <laughs> That's and they are his babies. I mean, he's still doing it. I think he's in on the meme at this point. Yeah, he has to run in a film. Did I saw an interview with him once, and he said he watches a new film every day. He allegedly sees every film that comes out. Every single film that is released, Tom Cruise apparently sees. I but don't know how. Every film. N- yeah. Nearly every film he makes, though, is the same. But then Tom Cruise doesn't make these films, remember? He's not a director, he's an actor. Yeah, well, yes, he has a lot of creative input on them. I was about to say, usually he's an executive producer. Yeah, he is. I'd be really interested to see Tom Cruise direct a film, to see what he could come up with. I mean, he's getting on. Surely he's got to take a backseat to acting soon. I don't think he does. How old is he now? He's got a, is he pushing 60 or has he already made 60? He must 60? be pushing 60. I mean, and we famously don't fact check on this. <laughs> imagine, imagine Tom Cruise. <laughs> so give it 10 years time. You know, HBO are making the Harry Potter TV series. Yes. Remake of the movies, which is just a terrible idea. Oh, I don't know. Tom, Tom Cruise, Dumbledore. Tom Cruise is Dumbledore. You know what? Tom Cruise is probably about the age that those original Dumbledores were. Yeah, Michael Gambon. Tom Cruise is 60 years old. How old was... Google how old Michael Gambon was when he was Dumbledore. I, I waver the fact che- no fact-checking rule for this. Michael Gambon is 82. Now. S- now. 13 years ago. He's basically, yeah, Michael Gambon was about... 63 yeah when he took over as Dumbledore excellent I can't wait to see Tom Cruise's in three years Tom Cruise will be the same age that is ridiculous right I'm writing an email to HBO please cast Tom Cruise (laughs) as Dumbledore you can imagine him now can't you sprinting in full speed did you put your name in the goblet of fire (laughs) That was exactly what I was thinking as well. <laughs> I need, I need, I think what we need to do. Oh my goodness. I think I need to, I need to make that. I need, we need to try and deep fake that. Oh, I'm going to clip this. This is going to be a social clip for the Instagram. Good God. Oh, I'm using that. Oh. Excellent. I think. Move on with the plot. When Charlie learns that his estranged father, Sanford Babbitt, has died. Sanford, that's such an American name. Sanford. Sanford. He and his girlfriend, Suzanne, travel to Cincinnati in order to settle the estate. He inherits only a group of rose bushes and his classic 1949 Buick Roadmaster convertible, over which he and his father clashed while the remainder of the $3 million estate is going to an unnamed trustee. He learns that the money is being directed to a local mental institute where he meets his older brother Raymond, of whom he was unaware of his whole life. Okay. Um, This is where the film starts to show its age, I feel. 
and I know we don't watch films in hindsight, <laughs> but there's yes. a and you could I can I can put it down to like the characterization. These are normal people. This is how people spoke in '88. There's a lot of language you wouldn't rem- wouldn't dare to use these days in Absolutely these scenes. Not. Good <laughs> lord! Do but that brings me on to a point I've made before. It is based in 1988, and that's how people spoke in 1988. So even if this film was made today and set in 1988, they should speak like that. Yeah, you shouldn't. You should remember that we have we have moved forward. Yeah, this is historically how people spoke, and I think this film probably went quite a long way in educating people on these issues. Yeah. And sort of informing people who probably didn't really know what a lot of these issues were. Well, before we, I watched the film and before recording this, I did have a couple of people get in contact with me and say, be careful this episode uh, with the topics because they are sensitive. And uh, and one thing that um, I did get told is, there was virtually no knowledge about autism and mental health issues before this film in America. And this is quite revolutionary in bringing it to the, the mainstream, to, to, to the public. Yeah, I can, I can see that. Because it, it does. It doesn't mock it at all. And it is quite sensitive about the topic and sort of you you get and we'll get into it you get Cruz's sort of inability to have the patience to deal with Raymond and Raymond sort of spiraling and struggling um but it's Tom Cruise is the audience surrogate in this film he is how a normal person who has zero sort of knowledge of autism and these sort of mental health issues and that is how the everyman probably would react to it and we get a nice character arc the everyman he's a caricature of the everyman yeah but i feel he's he's, he's a bit capitalism gone wild everyman yeah, not not a sort of his capitalism money grabbing sort of everyman aspect, but the if you suddenly took someone who has literally no knowledge of autism and mental health and said, Look after someone with quite severe mental health. Yes, he's functioning, mm. but look after someone with mental health, they would struggle like this. It it's a it's a very steep learning curve. And this film doesn't take place over a long period of time. So it is quite a steep learning curve. Yeah, yeah. But I think it does it quite sensitively. Good Lord, he treats Susanna badly. Why is she in this film? I I felt bad for her the entire time. I felt really bad for her. Yeah, I I felt bad for her because I didn't understand why she was in this film. She... Is she there to make him look like a worse human? Yeah. Because he just... You being treated like that, just leave. Which she does at one point. uh, Yeah. She comes back. 
but yeah, it's that is not a healthy relationship to be in. No, not at all. And she does nothing but try to support him as well. Yeah, it's classic. I'm the most supportive partner in the world, well, and you are a terrible human being. He's like a full-on sociopath to her. Yeah, it's he's awful to her. It's it's weird though because even from the start, I think he doesn't treat Raymond with a lot of compassion at all. But he's got a slither more compassion for Raymond than he does for Susanna. And well, that continues throughout the film. <laughs> there is quite a large incentive for him liking Raymond. Raymond has literally all of the money. Yeah, yeah. It's coming from a very selfish, self-centered point of view. Like, it's, yeah. I think go on to the next plot point. Raymond has savant syndrome and autism and adheres to strict routines. He has superb recall, but he shows little emotional expression, except when in distress. Charlie spirits Raymond out the out of the mental institution and into a hotel for the night. Disgusted with the way Charlie treats his brother, Susanna leaves him. Charlie asks Raymond's doctor, Dr. Gerald Brunner, for half of the estate in exchange for Raymond's return, but Brunner refuses. Charlie decides to attempt to gain custody of his brother in order to get control of the money. I was very happy when they went to the mental institute and they actually had people with real disabilities as sort of background performers and other characters. Yeah. Um, totally agree. And I had I had an initial issue with Dustin Hoffman, a, as far as I know, able-bodied, non-disability-suffering actor playing someone with these disabilities. But would it have been cruel to get somebody with these disabilities to play the role? That is something I came up with in my head as well. I said, but I imagine it would have been very hard to find someone with these disabilities and issues to play the role. So I justified it in my head. And I think he does such a good job demonstrating. And this film does a remarkable job of demonstrating that hypersensitivity of senses that people with autism have. And sort of his... the It was amazing. To, like When Raymond walked into a room, the camera would focus on all these different things every time he walked into a new room. So it was like a clock on the wall that was ticking and it would boost the audio because that's what Raymond is hearing. And then it would jut over to a jukebox in the corner or like when they're driving over a bridge, he's focusing on the noise that a great like three stories below is making. I think this is a very, very, very good representation of showing people how people with this autism and savant syndrome cope. I think they do that throughout the movie as well. I think earlier in the film, Susanna's trying to tell Charlie something and he's thinking about money and it kind of drowns out her voice. 
Yeah, I wanted to... I mean, I was going to bring it up a little bit later. But I think there is a little subtext that Charlie is on the spectrum as well. Yes. Because he has got this sort of... Yes, you could see it as this, like, capitalist greed. But he demonstrates a knowledge of classic cars. Yeah. And there's a few times when they're driving down the road and and Charlie very quickly quips off what the car is, what the, like, top speed is, how many they made, the year it came out, which, uh, yeah, I think it's a way of saying... If one sibling's got it, the other sibling's probably on the spectrum as well. One in 200 people are on the spectrum. Which, when you think about it, is a That's hell a of lot. a lot of people. That's a lot. Yeah. A lot of people. That's bad. I think Charlie shows a lack of empathy throughout. Well, he's very motivated by the money, isn't he? Yeah. And he is a little bit scorned. Because it, it it's cruel what his father did. It yeah. is so horrendously cruel. He took one teenage joyride in this classic car and his dad called the police saying the car had been stolen. He didn't say his son was in it. So he got pulled over, he got arrested and then his dad just left him in jail for three days. Like, that is a cruel, cruel man. But I don't think the punishment fits the crime. Um, so... Getting back onto Raymond, so we meet Raymond properly, this first section of the journey, and yes, he is difficult to be around, especially for Charlie, but the performance is also quite charming in a way. I think I think it's like it's almost like a childlike innocence. That I don't know, it just, I I grew to really like the character of Raymond really quite quickly. Yeah, he's very, very charming. Um, But I, I think I think it is this symptom of savant syndrome where he is so incredibly gifted in the fact that he can basically memorise every book he's ever written and can do these sort of, mathematical equations off the top of his head but he literally can't have a conversation with you which i think leads to that sort of childlike innocence and wonder about the world that he's got i think just our greater level of empathy just allows us to connect with that character much quicker than the the characters in in the movie but that's because probably because it's modern day now and we understand a lot more about these things and we can empathize a lot more with with the character and we understand a bit more about uh how autism affects people yeah i mean i encounter people with autism in my day-to-day life mm-hmm. um i have interacted with people who are quite severely on the spectrum and then people who are only mildly showing signs, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it is such a wide spectrum, and it's just sort of take each interaction as you can. Try and make their yeah. life as easy, try and understand their triggers, um, mm. which is 
something this film does quite well is Charlie sort of learns to deal with it. After Raymond refuses to fly to Los Angeles, he and Charlie resort to driving there instead. They make slow progress because Raymond insists on sticking to his routines, which includes watching the People's Court on television every day, getting to bed by 11pm and refusing to travel when it rains. He also objects to travelling on the interstate after they encounter a car accident. During the course of the journey, Charlie learns more about Raymond, including his ability to instantly perform complex calculations and count hundreds of objects at once, far beyond the normal range of human abilities. He also realises that Raymond had lived with the family as a child and was the Rain Man, a comforting figure that Charlie had falsely remembered as an imaginary friend. Raymond had saved an infant Charlie from being scolded by hot bathwater one day, but their father had blamed him for nearly injuring Charlie and committed him to the institution, as he was unable to speak up for himself and correct the misunderstanding. So this is where my issues with the film start. It suddenly becomes a little bit clumsy. Go on. Well, it becomes a road trip film, doesn't it? Like we've seen a million times. However, sort of... I don't think it is executed very well. No. Um, I think the 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 as you as you say at the start of this bit we're about half an hour in and we're actually three two we're actually two thirds of the way through the plot summary because we have a good hour now where they're on this road trip but we kind of have the same points and the same things rammed down our throat for like an hour yeah and there are two maybe three memorable parts of this road trip the first one that we've just discussed was sort of when it's revealed that raymond actually lived in the family home and he saved a baby charlie from being scolded that takes about 45 minutes to sort yeah. of happen. And a lot of it is just sort of clumsy way of getting there. And I think now we'll be the point when I mention that they made this film during the 1988 Writers Guild of America strike, which means there were no writers allowed on set. So normally the writers will be on hand to rewrite scenes, rewrite dialogue and do you know what I mean? Streamline it a little bit. Whereas they were stuck with the version of the script they had. They weren't allowed to change it because the writers were on strike. Oh, interesting. So they, he literally, the writer delivered his last draft of the script about two hours before the strike started and it went way past when they wrapped shooting and i think oh. you can really tell you really yeah like sure. this is not surely... a bad film this is well written but it's very clearly struggling from that streamlining that you would normally get from having the writer on set actually listening to the actors deliver the lines and a lot of the time it's quite clumsy and that repetitiveness, 
normally you would streamline it and cut it out and yeah but i would have thought this could be solved in the cut because the i think the main problem with this middle section is we have the same three scenes just repeated about four times i've got a feeling this is what's been fixed in the cut i think that they've probably shot a lot more than they've shown yeah and that might be why it's feeling clumsy because you normally you would rewrite dialogue to fix around the edit you go oh well if we say this then we can sort of move from this area to this area quite smoothly whereas it just feels quite jumpy and i don't have the best geography of america and the states so i don't really know where they are in relation to where they should be Mm. so they start somewhere i couldn't could you tell me where they started cincinnati where i I just read it in the plot and i know (laughs) and i know they ended up in las vegas this section is definitely not an advertisement for travel in america or visiting america they film the most boring roads it's just desert isn't it i have ever seen it's just desert upon desert upon desert over yeah, and like a, a random motel in a desert a rough car lot yeah it's had rough hotel motels it's and... unfortunately trying to rely on the dialogue <laughs> but the dialogue isn't they should have held off do you know what i mean to make this film i feel yeah it, it, it really it would have incredible. benefited from having... It would have been an incredible film had the writer been on set. Yeah. And it is unfortunate that this is where it lacks. So a big part of this film as well is that Buick Roadmaster. Oh, beautiful car. God, they love... In the 80s, they love an iconic car or vehicle or something in top gun it was always his motorcycle in this like loads of the shots are just focused on the car and the characters kind of go in and out of it and stuff like that i feel like there's a bit too much time spent idolizing the car i know it's like a big like metaphor for his him and his father's relationship and stuff like that um i do think it's ironic that he was unhappy with his father because of the car and because of the roses. And he doesn't realise at all that his father giving him the car and the roses is what he always wanted. At all. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. But then he's also deprived him of his fair share of $3 million. Yes, and he is failing in his own business. There's a point when they say he tried to reach out a few times and Charlie basically ignored him because he's he's too proud, basically, to go and ask for help from his quite well-off father. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it is a cruel sort of from beyond the grave prank from his father to be like, the rose bushes, the rose bushes which haven't been looked after because when charlie arrives i think his girlfriend says those roses need a water they're practically dead do you know what i mean he's basically let them die out of spite 
it's yeah and then there's the reveal that i didn't see it like that at all i I just really didn't i see it as charlie went off to make his own life and he went off to make his own fortune and his dad respect like respected that even though he and he tried to get in contact with him and then in his will he gave him what charlie wanted all those years ago i i I, I saw it as his father showing love for him and affection. No, I saw it as a little bit spiteful. Because That's this is a man who is quite happy to hide one of his children away from the public in an institution and never reference it. To, he's depriving Charlie of knowing that he has a sibling. It it this is not a nice human sort of it, it's yeah he's he's not nice i don't think what he's doing is because like oh, i really love you here's what you've always wanted i think it's like uh oh you wanted the cars all them years ago that's the only thing you're getting goodbye yeah no i i totally see your point i totally see your point it's just what when, when i when i watched it i i took it as a lack of emotional intelligence from charlie that's interesting it's probably because i'd already really taken against charlie for the way he treats Susanna and his employee yeah i mean like father like son oh for sure charlie's probably got these character traits from somewhere absolutely it's all taught isn't it often bullies are bullied at home there we go nail on the head i really liked the demonstration of the savant syndrome with the toothpicks. the toothpicks yeah that was good brilliant scene absolutely brilliant you see him drop and you just hear raymond like mumble a number like 162 and it's like what and he mums it again and he mums it again and you get that great scene as charlie and the waitress figure out what he's saying and he's like i've just got the toothpicks and yeah sort of charlie doesn't believe him and the waitress is like well there's four still left in the box he's he's bang on and it's it, it's almost a superpower it is yeah it's an, it's incredible it is genuinely unbelievable and such a mad shame that to have this superpower you are then lumped with a disability where you literally can't have a conversation with someone. Mm. And it is Absolutely. wild that the world works that way. This bit is when I I did, and I did correctly guess what was going to happen. I I went, oh no, he's going to use him for card counting. I, I, I just knew that on the way back to LA, they're going to go through Vegas. This is what's going to happen. I think the problem I had with it is that would have been fine if the next scene they arrived in Vegas rather than half an hour more road trip yes. to watch. I really would have appreciated maybe a few scenes with Charlie because we get the it's a quite a quick training Raymond how to play cards basically. Oh, he basically doesn't train him. No, um, but it's alluded to in the fact that they're probably driving for like another day. 
and he's probably yeah. telling him literally everything he knows. So it's very heavily alluded to. But it'd have been great if there was like, you know, those scam artists you get on a street corner where they're like, find the queen, find the queen, find the queen. Where is it? Or they've got three cops and one of them's got a ball under it and it's like mixing them up. I think it'd been really good to use Raymond's abilities that way. <laughs> So you want an 80s training montage? I do. I want an 80s training montage where... Of gambling. You show these characters get a little bit closer. I don't know. I thought it would have been quite good to see con artists getting conned, basically. I just think it would fit in brilliantly with the 80s-ness of it. Because I won't lie, the actual conning part is boring. It's... So unapologetically an 80s film, I'm shocked that there isn't an unapologetically 80s montage in there. Moving on. Charlie's creditor repossesses the Lamborghinis, forcing him to refund his buyer's down payments and leaving him deeply in debt. Having passed Las Vegas, he and Raymond return to Caesar's Palace on the strip to devise a plan to win the needed money by playing blackjack and counting cards. Though the casino bosses obtain videotape evidence of the scheme and ask them to leave, Charlie successfully wins the $86,000 to cover his debts and reconciles with Susanna, who has rejoined the brothers in Las Vegas. Right, so this section includes the worst shot and the best shot of the entire movie. Okay, okay, I'm going to guess the best shot is them two coming down the escalator. Okay, what do you think my worst shot is? Um... The worst shot is it when Susanna comes back? No, it's when it's when they've just done the counting cards practice, and they go, and he goes, "Great, you remembered all the cards," and then there's a weird cut to the car doing like a massive jackknife back onto the road with cards flying everywhere. I really liked that. What was that? 80s. What was that? That is 80s, my friend. <laughs> it was dreadful. It's like a cloud of cards. Like there must be somebody lying down in the back seat, throwing, throwing them cards. up in the air. <laughs> Genuinely, that's probably how they did it. It's probably a poor prop man. There's more than a deck of cards there as oh, well. But it's artistic. It's it's iconic. What a shot! You remember it. You might think it was yeah, bad, oh, but you course, remember yeah. it. That's because it was bad. <laughs> and then your favourite shot? Favourite shot? Oh, it's got to be Charlie and Raymond dancing. Oh, what a nice scene that is. The escalator shot is iconic, but I, I couldn't fully enjoy it because it's still Charlie using his brother. But then... Also, why do they have no ties on? 80s. You didn't wear ties in the 80s? It just looks so awkward. And also, Tom Cruise's suit is so baggy in that in that shot. Yep, 80s, my friend. Fitted suits didn't come in until 20 years later, Joel. That was fashion. Everything was oversized. Bigger was better in the 80s in America. Right, so first of all, we get the near 10-minute scene of them doing the blackjack hustle. He bets one for like when the... The pot's good, two for when it's bad. And that is like the most obvious tell for 
Charlie to then bet off of. How they should have been caught in ten minutes. What about the point when he goes, "There's another queen coming. There's loads of queens," quite loudly, and the dealer <laughs> yeah. doesn't hear it. Like you get like really sophisticated cheaters in other films getting picked up straight away. Well, Plus, if you if you've gathered a crowd of people to watch you play blackjack, you're cheating. Well, there's cockiness, isn't there? They're too cocky, um, and that is their downfall. However, literally zero repercussions. Like it's building and building that they're counting cards, which isn't actually legal. Perfectly legal thing to do if you can memorize. Yep six decks of cards fair play to you skill it's skill however that means that casinos lose because rule one is the house always wins mm-hmm. um so they reserve their right to just kick anyone out as they can do yeah, they don't have to serve you no um so you don't want to get caught building to them getting caught and then you get the part when charlie's sort of invited into the office and i thought like oh he's gonna get beaten up or they're gonna arrange for Raymond to get beaten up or something and it isn't it's just a you need to leave and it's a good like again 15 minutes after the big gambling scene it was such an unfired gun for me because there's tension in the gambling scene yeah where you think they're coming over they're coming over they're coming over and then they just never do and it's I think I think it's an issue with the writing I think that comes down again to not having a writer on set. Because yeah. maybe they wanted they they literally were powerless to fix any of this. They were not allowed. They Really this, they weren't allowed to change any script whatsoever. You're not allowed that is the point of the, the if you, if anyone alters the script they become a script writer and they're not part of the writers guild of America and they can't it's, Oh no way. You're not I didn't realise it was that deep. It's a very, very delicate issue. Susanna comes back. Oh, I was so disappointed in her. So, from what I can tell, the only reason she came back was to assault Raymond. Yes. Yeah, that scene made me very Why? uncomfortable. Why is that scene there? Doesn't make any sense. So, for I those assume... who haven't watched it, <sighs> Susanna in the elevator, the elevator stops. And she, she stops it. Raymond. So she stops the elevator, traps Raymond in it, basically, which makes him very uncomfortable and scared, and then asks him if he's ever been kissed, to which he says he doesn't know because he can't process that sort of thing, uh, and then proceeds to kiss him, to which he comes out with a very funny line of, that was wet, Um that's not fair on no. Raymond. And it is something that comes up about two or three more times. And it is sort of played off as a joke. Yeah. But it When actually it's... it's it's Why? It's almost like... Because Susanna's character is nice. Yeah, but you can't but sympathy It's a weird kind someone. of... But it's a... Yeah, exactly. Sympathy. It's, it's a weird kind of pity. And I don't feel like Raymond needs to be p- pitied. I think he needs to be respected. On him. No, absolutely not. This, this sheet, this, if any scene gets caught, because it has literally no impact on the plot. Yeah. Cut this. Get rid of it. Why is it there? Absolutely. 
And we just we just had such a lovely scene of Raymond being scared about dancing uh, with the girl and Charlie calming his fears and teaching him how to dance. And that is a memorable moment for Raymond and sticks with Raymond. And that was so lovely to this weird, pity, horrible scene. Yeah. Awful. Awful, awful, awful. Moving on. Returning to Los Angeles, Charlie meets with Brenner, who offers him $250,000 to walk away from Raymond. Charlie refuses and says that he is no longer upset about being cut out of his father's will, but he wants to have a relationship with his brother. At a meeting with a court-appointed psychiatrist, Raymond proves unable to decide for himself what he wants. Charlie stops the questioning and tells Raymond he is happy to have him as his brother. As Raymond and Brunner board a train to return to the institution, Charlie promises to visit him in two weeks. Weird ending. Is it a weird... It, it's an abrupt ending. But good character growth. There's maybe 15 minutes of actual character development where you it is addressed as character development in this film. It starts coming in in Vegas, but he's still massively using Raymond. Yeah. And then finally comes full circle when he refuses the money. And you're like, oh, finally. And it is a good film. Um, It is a film I would recommend to people. They had a script and they went, should we wait this strike out? Nah, let's make it. Um, I just know this could have been better. You spend a bunch of the film questioning why it's on the must-see films before you die. And then by the end you go, okay, I understand. But it could have been an incredible film. I think I am disappointed with the potential. It's not one of these films where I go, it's a 7 out of 10, but seven's the maximum it could get. This film, with a few subtle changes, this had the opportunity to be a very high-ranking film. I agree. I think leads us to Scores on the Doors. I think this had the potential to be a 9 out of 10. And unfortunately, yes. I don't think it hits it. I'm going to give it a 6.5, I feel. I think it tackled a very important topic well. I think it's it's exceptionally hard for me to score because the last 20 minutes were fantastic. But I do need to remember the first hour and a half, which was slow and a little bit uncomfortable and filled with a very, very long road trip. So I think I am going to agree with you on 6.5. Yeah. It's, I think I said it last week or the week before, it's one of those films where it tricks you into remembering it being better than it is because the last half an hour, 20 minutes are so amazing. As difficult as it would be to admit, I'd really like to see this remade. Yes. Um, but then I think, I don't know who you would cast because these two were so you've got brilliant match, together. Yeah. You've got to match that. And their chemistry yeah. is brilliant. I mean, get them back. Do it. Do a sequel. <laughs> do a Force Awakens level. You do the same thing. Just make them however old oh, they are now. Uh, this was nominated for eight Academy Awards. So. Next week. Next week. What are we watching? We are going to be watching Apocalypse Now. 
no idea what it's about, but I've heard people talk about it. I'm going to assume it's about an apocalypse. And it's now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to end the show now. Impactful. I, I thought it was powerful. Did you like the silence after? Well, I imagine you saying it, and then I imagined you on a train platform, sunglasses on, looking out into the distance as you said it, and it was just beautiful. Actually, I was leaving my son like Daniel in There Will Be Blood. Goodbye. My son being the podcast. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the 1001 Movies We Have Not Seen podcast. You can subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice or follow us on Insta at 1001 Movies Not Seen Pod. We have new episodes every Thursday. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Pampite the musical coming soon. <laughs> Live to TV. <laughs> <laughs>